0: So today, the topic is God is the only doer. We've heard, uh, over the past few weeks, we've heard uh, Tulsi Das say that, we've heard Mira say it, Dadu say it, Meister Eckhart say it, Swami G say it, Ravi Das, and others. We read some beautiful poems where they all reference the fact that God is the doer. And without God, Any question at all, this is one of the most crucial lessons that we learn on the mystic path, the lesson that God is the real doer. Everything that is done, everything, everything that we experience being done, everything that happens with or without our knowledge, with or without our effort inside and outside is truly done by God consciousness. He's the real doer. He's the raison d'etre, the reason that we exist, the real reason we're on the path. He's our very life, our very awareness, and the divine urge to merge that pulls the soul forward in its multi-billion-year journey, its God-to-God journey, from mental awareness to soul consciousness and eventually to divine awareness. God is and has always been the real seeker, the real soul, the mind, the mystic path, and the final stage of eternal divine consciousness. The question for today is how, why, and when do we actually realize this, fully realize it, fully realize it in its essence, without any question, without leaving any doubt. The mystic path, like any other path, is a path that starts with faith. We see the big picture, it makes sense, we begin to see some small proofs here and there. We have experience, more faith, more strength. But over time, it should also be a path that gives us the proof, the final proof that is beyond belief, beyond question. We start hearing very early in our journey as a human, in various religions, we, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Taoist, Sufi, Hindu, so many other religions, paths. A lot of those paths, most of those paths, teach us about the theories, the myths, the stories, the quotes from saints and previous mystics in the past that talk about how we're made from God's image. And how he really truly does everything. We may have different images of God, different um, definitions of God, but we hear that again and again and again, and just in so many paths through so many lifetimes. And then when we become more spiritual and go on spiritual paths, we hear it from shamans and mystics and gurus and teachers and self help guides and the internet and the internet and the internet. (laughs) The internet of all things, right? The, the wired world that we live in, we hear it all the time. But where's the proof? Where's the proof? The real proof. Well, that's why we're here, aren't we? That's why we're practicing. That's why we're practicing the meditations that we're practicing. But when do we get the real proof? Just the same. It isn't actually until we begin to look inside ourselves. It isn't until we stop only looking outside, only listening to other people, only reading books. It isn't until we go beyond these things by looking inside that we begin to get closer to discovering and experiencing the real wisdom ourselves. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. When does it start? Well, it starts in many different ways. Each of us discover the secrets. We discover this lesson in different ways, depending upon our sanskaras, depending upon how much progress we made in a previous life, depending upon what type of progress we need to make in this life. But there's there's some key segments on, there's some key events on the path inside that give us the proof, the final proof of the fact that God is the doer. I think it starts with observing the mind, becoming a silent observer of the mind. See, we're not usually observers of the mind, we're usually so caught up in the process of thinking and the process of doing and the process of making memories and playing back memories that we're not really observing observing what's happening. We're not observing the mind itself. It isn't until we begin to Put a space in between us and the mind, it isn't until we start to look at it as something other than us that we begin to see what the mind is and what the mind is not, which then leads us to ponder what's really happening, what is happening, what is life all about. So if we start practicing a mantra or bhajan or dion, or even just becoming a silent observer like we, we practice in the one second bubble, in all of these methodologies, you see, we're concentrating on one thing at a time. When we concentrate on one thing at a time in the mind, It stops the flurry of activity, this uh, ping pong effect of going from one event to another event during a single train of thought. And that frees us from a very major aspect of the mind. We've talked many times about the experiment of putting your hand out in front of you and wiggling your fingers just feeling the tension in your hand and watching your fingers as they move. And then closing your eyes and you can still see the fingers moving. You can still feel the tension that you felt when your eyes were open. In that three-second exercise, the mind will make hundreds and hundreds of tiny little snapshots of itself doing something. It will measure the distance, the relative distance between the fingers, will measure the relative distance that the fingers move forward and then backwards. It will measure the relative feelings in the hands and the arms and the fingers and the shoulder and the tension in the neck from the movement of the muscles. And it will record every event in great detail. It will assume that it can make a memory. It will anticipate making a memory. It actually makes a memory of assuming. It actually makes a memory of beginning to make a memory. It makes a memory of itself making the memory, and then memorizes the tiny little finger moving a tiny bit forward. And, and then it stores, it anticipates being able to store that memory. It makes a memory of itself storing the memory. Then it continues to look at the finger and it notices the, the movement of the finger, the energy of the finger, the tension in the finger. And it goes through the same process of anticipating memories, making memories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's five fingers, four or five different things to consider as the fingers are moving. Then there's the effect on the on the muscles and on the arms and the head, and the tension in the face, the all of those types of things. And while it's doing that, it makes comments to itself. If it's if the person making the comment is a love based person, then it makes pride based comments. Oh, I'm feeling strong today. I'm no arthritis. This is fantastic. But then the negative mind will make a counter-comment. Everything happens in duality in the mind. It'll argue, no, you've got arthritis, but I don't seem to have arthritis today because that's just because you took two aspirins and a couple systemic enzymes. Well, but it's it's no big deal. Well, it gets bigger every month. You take more every month to try and get rid of the arthritis. No, it's going away. No, it's not. It's in the other hand as well and it's in your elbows. We're getting worse. No, 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 this is just temporary. No, we're getting old. Have you looked at the calendar? Do you remember what year it is? Do you remember when your birthday is? It'll, it'll go back and forth, back and forth, seven, eight, nine times arguing with itself. And it makes memories of every conversation as well. It isn't until we're we can rest in the silence as a silent observer of the mind that we can see this process or similar types of processes. And at the most subtle level, we can actually even see the mind waiting for the next thought to occur, holding the space between the thoughts, dwelling in the inclination of event processing waiting for the next thought to arrive, staring in the emptiness for the next thought to arrive, but not doing, refusing to do anything else at all until the next thought arises. We're not learning who we are when we're in that mode. It isn't until we learn to float. So if we're doing a mantra, or Bhajan, or Simran, or Dion, or Hatha yoga, or Kriya yoga, or we're working on a tough um, formula. We're trying to create a formula for something, and we've been working on it in our head for days, hardly leaving it at all. We end up concentrating on one single subject-object relationship. So instead of our mind ping-ponging all over the place, as it does in a train of thought hundreds of times, it's only going back and forth, still making some memories, but much more focused, less frantic activity, um, and in a contr- in little bit more of control. And so the neuron activity is less, the silence is is less, the concentration is greater. And if we could simply let go between the starting and the stopping of a a, um, subject-object relationship, if we could let go without having the inclination of waiting for the next event, then... In that silence, we become a silent observer. With practice, uh, with the practice of leaving the mind and floating in the emptiness, we eventually become a silent observer. It's very, very hard to do if you've been concentrating hard for long periods of time, hours or days or weeks or months, practice this way to learn how to walk away from the mind. It can be done, it can be done. Someone doing Simran for years can learn to slow down the Simran. Say it slower, slower, and slower, and slower, and slower, and to add pauses between the five words, or four words, or six words, between the sequences, start, first word and the last word and put gaps in there and the slower the Simran gets the easier it is to step out of the Simran and melt into the silence and if you know what consciousness is then you won't be afraid of the emptiness you won't be so attached to it that you aren't willing to leave it Or you can simply start practicing sitting in silence and letting things be as they are, more natural, easier. However you do it, however it's done, it's important to get to the point where we're silent observers of the mind. When we get to that point, we realize that thoughts happen by themselves. We'll be sitting there one day, just relaxed. Someone asks us a question, but because we're used to waiting, because we're used to floating in silence, we'll float a little bit. And then every now and then we'll hear the mind answering the question by itself as if it's a third person talking, as if it's not us. Ah now we're beginning to see that things happen by themselves. It's not yet proof that God is the doer, but we're beginning to see that we aren't the doer. And this is such an important step on the journey within, on the journey of realizing that God is the doer. It's a very important milestone. Another thing that happens in our practice, in anyone's practice of listening in the silence, we realize that true bubbles of consciousness where we don't feel any time or any space or any self perspective, always happens when we least expect it. And it happens by itself if we're trying to do something think wait search for the emptiness think about the emptiness expect the emptiness desire the emptiness remember the emptiness all these are doing things these all of these facilities require an act of effort it requires effort to do these things we're using the mind Whenever we're using the mind, the emptiness, the silence that dwells in our hearts, that dwells at the core of our consciousness, that silence won't appear. But when we're not doing anything at all, when we have a loving, calm demeanor, when we're letting things be as they are, The consciousness happens by itself. And the more that this happens in our life, the easier it is to see that we're not the consciousness either. We're also not the mind, but we're not the consciousness. We do have deja vu experiences in the soul, in soul awareness. We have deja vu experiences, but the deja vu experience happens in a flash and melts us into greater levels of consciousness and again, when we least expect it it happens by itself we simply get melted we don't melt ourselves there's no effort in melting, you see we simply m- melt melt effortlessly, and timelessly. Even the deja vu experience is seamlessly, timelessly, peacefully occurring like a flow of consciousness, you see. Even then, it's not proof that God is a doer. But now we're really, really, truly beginning to understand that even consciousness doesn't happen by itself. So consciousness then becomes delicious, becomes a state of being that's absolutely blissful, it's wonderful. You're 100,000, maybe 1,000 times freer than you were when you were in the mind. Your awareness is 10, 20 times, 50 times, 100 times greater than it was when you were in the mind. Depends on how deep you go. But it's something that's very, very special, very precious. And you have no control over it. You yourself have no control. There's no effort that creates it. It happens by itself, you see. And when we begin to float like this inside, the next step is that we begin to do it while our eyes are open, while we're walking in the world as well. Then we begin to float in life. And as we float in life, the next thing that we experience is that life floats to us and away from us without penetrating us. We begin to see that life happens by itself deeper yet deeper yet and in this experience of floating through life we begin to realize that if we stay in silence and we watch what's happening continue to watch silently gratefully lovingly We realize that all the big decisions get made by themselves, they don't take any effort. We don't have to think. Then the small, medium-sized decisions get made by themselves, and the small decisions get made by themselves. And then we begin to realize, what do we really have to do in life? Is there anything that we really have to do? Interesting question, we're not sure yet. When I first started giving talks in, in Radha on at one Sunday, 20 years old, something like that, I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel that I knew the subject or that I had any value that anyone would want to hear. And I just bowed my head, entered the silence and honored the silence, honored God, the divine presence in the silence. When I opened my eyes, I wasn't sitting in the chair anymore. I was standing at the podium and people were asking questions. I didn't know what happened. But they heard the satsang, I wasn't there. I didn't give the satsang. That was incredible. Something happened by itself that was beyond my wildest imagination. I thought it was just a quirk. The next time I spoke, three, four weeks later, it happened again. Another month, it happened again. And it began to happen throughout my life. And these things will happen to all of us as we make progress on the path. It happens to us in different ways. Sometimes even before we're on the path, you know, we're driving in the car. And all of a sudden we arrive at a destination. We can't remember how we got there. (laughs) We're sitting in the car we say, oh my God. Wow, I didn't hit anyone. I didn't think about where I was going. I didn't look at my GPS. I didn't enter the address in, in my phone. And I'm here. Things happen by themselves, you see. Still not proof that God is the doer. But as we go deep into this silent flow, this middle way, this woo way flowing through life. We realize that life itself is a stream of events that come to us and as long as we don't grab at it, it goes around us and disappears. Then we begin to see the big cycles. Eventually we realize that life is nurturing us in a very magical way. It's allowing us, enabling us, and empowering us to make incredible progress on the path. And all of that is happening silently, beautifully, and lovingly, and without any effort of our own. And then we start to realize that maybe there's an overwhelming power, perhaps God that's doing all this. And it happens more and it happens more. And then we become grateful because we're being nurtured and loved and our path is being sustained and empowered in magical ways, day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, second after second, continually and always with the greatest benefit the greatest good for our inner path at all times this is a strong creates a strong increase in faith because we're experiencing things that we never thought were possible and these things are happening by themselves you see and then all sorts of miracles happen. And we start to feel self-radiance. We start to notice our own self-radiance. The light in the air gets brighter and brighter and brighter, day by day, week by week, month by month. It sparkles, literally sparkles sometimes. Sometimes the light is blinding. And yet we float because we've been learning, we've been floating for years at this point we float, whether we can see what's happening in the world or not. Just like we drove in the car. And things begin to happen by themselves. And as all of this happens, we feel a warming in our heart. We feel the love in the air. We feel the love in our soul. And then a funny thing happens. At some point, you see We can sense a divine presence that never stops pulling us inside when we're meditating and never starts guiding us on the path when we're walking in the world. Never stops, never stops. Always loving, always nurturing, always sustaining. It's an overwhelming power that's there, and it's not us. And yet, we can always feel it. It's a divine presence of some type. We don't know what it is yet, do we? We sense that maybe it's this God that we've heard about from so many lifetimes. But we, at this point, we still don't know, do we? We don't want to leave the feeling. If we think about it too much, we lose the experience. If we analyze too much, we lose the experience. If we try to memorize it, we lose the experience. And as these types of things occur within us, we begin to realize that the Divine Presence that's in us is the same Divine Presence that's outside of us. Because if we're thinking while we're inside, or thinking when we're outside, the same disappearing act happens. So eventually we stop playing hide and seek through our mind and we just let things happen. And we begin to love the flow of these miracles, this miracle of life, this miracle of mystic awareness becomes a flow, you see, that's ever-present, day and night, becomes a ringing radiance of itself and not through any effort of our own. But we still don't have final proof. Our faith at this point is so strong. And our attachment to this pull, to this urge to merge is so strong, it's beyond belief. But we still don't have proof. Not quite yet, we're getting really close. (laughs) We realize that everything happens by itself, including miracles. And when these miracles happen, these incredible miracles happen, we're all going to experience many, many different types of miracles. We just were in awe. Miracles happen beyond the laws of the physical world. We're beyond all beyonds when these types of miracles happen. It's impossible to have pride. It's impossible to... It's impossible to be anything but humble when these things happen. So eventually we feel the pull within and we feel the pull without, and we realize it's the same divine presence. And we know it's making us evolve very fast very beautifully, very free, very sweet. It's, it's incredible, it's incredible. At some point, if we've reached the eye center or maybe we're an old soul, our astral, sometimes our astral eyes will open. When your astral eyes, not your physical eyes are open, you begin to see colors that you don't see in the physical world world with your physical eyes. You smell smells, usually gorgeous flowers, flowers that you've never smelt on earth. You hear music and celestial music that you've never heard on earth. You see light. You see translucent colors that blend together in there translucently, colors that are self-luminant, that create a new spectrum of colors when they blend. and you begin as as you become really sensitive to energy you begin to feel an energy coming out of you that flows into the you can see the thoughts as colors sometimes flowing out of you begin to feel the energy coming out of you deeper deeper yet within your astral body you can sometimes feel the energies coming in the crown chakra flowing through your body, flowing out of your fingertips. And you can watch as the aura or the glow for your body leaks out beyond the body. And when, and when you stay, just stay, just stay within this flow of miracles, within this flow of awareness, your body becomes self-radiant and you can see it and you can see it. And you're not doing it. There's something coming into you that causes this to happen and it's not in your control. But when you think about it, you lose it. You memorize it, you lose it. You say, wow, you lose it. Still not definitive proof. Some souls will experience near-death experiences Or spiritually transformative events where they have, where they die, where we die. I've had some. And you sometimes go to these astral worlds, astral planes. You sometimes, if you're a Christian, you might meet Jesus or God, you know, in, in a white robe and white beard if you're white, darker skin if you're darker. If you're a Buddhist, you might see Buddha. If you're Krishna, you might see Krishna and so forth and so on. Other people might have angels appear to them in visions or even in real life. Incredible miracles. Things that give you incredible faith, incredible strength of conviction. Things that are so precious you can't forget them, but still not proof that God is the doer. Sometimes you see the radiant form of your guru in your head. Actually comes from your mind. Still not proof. Beautiful events, they give you incredible faith, incredible strength of conviction, incredible joy. Beautiful, beautiful, precious events. Every single one of them, but still not definitive proof. then comes a very special chakra. Not all of us go through it, but a lot of us do. It's the of Brahma. The of Brahma is a small, empty spot in your head somewhere. It seems to be right below the crown chakra, and it's described that way in a lot of Taoist and Buddhist texts and Hindu texts. And... By the time you reach it, realize that you've already gone to the eye center, you've gone through the three stages of joy, perhaps the Nada chakra, now you're in this chakra. So you've been in a state of consciousness, in and out of consciousness, perhaps for years, maybe decades, but for a long period of time, whether it's days or months, to you, it's always a long period of time. But you arrive in the cave of Brahm in a state of consciousness. And you're arriving in an empty spot in the brain, surrounded by synapse endings. And they're firing electric bolts, magnetic bolts, constantly. And if you notice the bolts, like you would in the mind, if you notice a rainbow, if you notice the rainbow colors, you look at them when you're in the mind. If all of a sudden you have that tendency when you're in the cave of Brahm to look at what's happening to, or, you know, to see the counters, to see the electromagnetic bolts going through you. Or if you flinch, like you might, if a car was about to hit you and you don't know whether you're going to live or die. You don't know what these bolts of electricity are. They're going right straight through you. Hundreds of them a second. There's a tendency to flinch. There's a tendency to look. There's a tendency to go, wow. If you do any of those things, you fall out of the mind the only way that you don't fall out of the mind is if you continue to gaze only at the divine presence within your consciousness an effort of concentration won't do it An effort at looking at the source won't do it. Loving the flow of consciousness, loving the pull as a divine presence is the only way out of this experience. And when you stay non-blinking, you eventually open up into the crown chakra. Bahavagad Gita talks about it in chapter 2. Krishna is talking to Arjuna. Arjuna is worried about the next day he has to fight his uncle and he might kill his uncle in battle. He doesn't want to hurt his uncle. His uncle might kill him. He's not worried about that, but he's worried his uncle might then try and kill Krishna. And that would be, it's a horrifying thought. He doesn't know what to do. And this is allegorical story, of course. And Krishna says to Arjuna, beautifully, beautifully, Vishnu is such a beautiful, beautiful soul. He's been lying on a bed of arrows for six months, trying to die that final death, never being able to die that final death, but always waiting for me to come to him and I will come to him and merge with him and then he'll be able to have that final death. It's an allegorical description of the experience in the cave of Brahm that we just talked about. Krishna is saying, like those bed of arrows are like the jagged Uh, arcs of electricity as it shoots through your body and you're floating you see so the surface of your body is touching all of these arrows as they exit the synapse endings so you're lying on a bed of arrows and they're all going through you and you're trying to die to the mind You're trying to leave the mind. You're trying to leave the world of self-perception. And you're starting to because you haven't taken your mind off of Krishna or off of the divine presence. You're waiting, waiting, waiting for the divine presence and you know it'll come and take you when the time is right. And you know this intimately because you've had so much experience that built up your faith, you see. And then it happens. And then all of a sudden you're in the crown chakra. This is very nice proof, still not definitive, almost. Then you end up in the crown chakra, you see, and having gone beyond the body, your physical body sometimes disappears. The sense of it certainly does. And now you're freed from the subject-object relationship of the mind as well. And in that freedom, you have multidimensional consciousness. And then the same feeling that you had when Krishna arrived or when Buddha arrived or when your guru arrived or your teacher arrived, when the divine presence arrived to take you out of the... Kava Brahman into the crown chakra, that same feeling occurs to you. The same intense love of the divine presence occurs to you as this portal opens up in the middle of this incredible lotus flower with a thousand and one suns revolving around it. And you know in an instant because your self-perception disappears. The soul's self-perception disappears, not just the mind's, that disappeared a long time ago. But the soul's desire to be has also disappeared and you merge into the creative consciousness. This is almost an infallible proof, but there's more. There's more whether you go immediately through the Sahaj portal or not, as you revisit the crown chakra, number one, as you inch a little bit beyond the crown chakra into the sea of existence, you begin to have memories of all the lives you've ever led. And at some point you will remember the consciousness that you had as God And then the consciousness a microsecond later that you had as a soul at the genesis of the soul. And in between every other memory. And then you'll remember all your future lifetimes that you haven't yet lived. And you'll remember the last state of consciousness that you have before you emerge totally in God. Now, this is wow. But is a vision, is it a vision or is it a true experience? feels like true experience, you're not quite sure. But it's infallible, experience doesn't disappear. Maybe you don't have that experience in the Sahaj portal yet. But even while you're in the Crown Chakra, even if you're just visiting the Crown Chakra for the first time, there's a different proof. You see, you're in each of these bubbles of light. Um, who were we talking to the, the other day? We were reading um, Swami describes him as a pearls, string of pearls surrounding you, lustrous pearls of light. You see, in the very center of these pearls, you're you are a white light you are consciousness as a white translucent light and then you explode and as you explode and as your consciousness grows and grows and grows and grows and grows the color of the light that you are turns to a yellow color and then the energy comes out of your consciousness and then then sound and light come out of the consciousness as well and energy comes out you're exploding as all all is all of this but while all this is happening, you can feel a consciousness coming into you that's not your consciousness. It's not your consciousness. And it's causing these things to happen. You still don't know that it's God, but you, you know it's just a deeper, deeper sense that reality, that everything is created by a consciousness that comes into you and flows through you. And it's not you. Consciousness still feels separate. Is it God? Is it an angel? Is it a demigod? What is it? 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 The other thing that happens, say the first time you go to the crown chakra, or the second time, if you go slower, eventually things, you know, if you only go to it once, it's just a quick flash. And if you haven't had fully immersive experiences, you don't have the full experience. But at any rate, once you start to have fully immersive experiences and you've been to the crown chakra many times, but maybe not to the Sahaj portal, you see your body disappears and your sense of body disappears. So when you're coming back into the mind from the crown chakra, you begin to float through these regions that get darker and darker and darker as you leave the region of the crown chakra awareness. And eventually you reach a region of vast darkness just before the crown chakra. it's a hidden region I call it the region of the white skeleton for a very good reason you'll be floating You, you still see things in 360 degree vision forward and backward you're in the middle of the 360 degree vision and then you see a tiny string of light going from one ball of light to another ball of light these are you originally think that these are just stars or something. But when you see this one string of light in between two balls of light, you see another one parallel to the first one somewhere in this space. And then you see another string on both the other two strings connecting a third molecule, then a fourth star, then a fifth star, then a sixth star. Then all of a sudden you realize that a skeleton of white light is forming around your consciousness. And you can feel the consciousness flowing into you as this happens. And then out of you to create this white skeleton, it's flowing through you. And it creates the entire body. And when it's created, this same consciousness that's flowing into you brings back or creates the visions that you had from your childhood that are some of your fondest visions. Maybe your mother just made an apple pie and she's serving the pie after dinner or you're having a picnic with the family or you're playing with your pet dog or your pet fish, I don't know. (laughs) But it's a beautiful experience. It's one of your fondest experiences from childhood. Then, bam, you're in the mind. But as you're entering the mind, you can still feel the consciousness coming out of you and creating the very thoughts that you're about to experience. And now see you have incredible proof that something, something, something does everything. Everything in this entire world, you see, you begin to realize it comes out of nowhere. Some souls, if their astral vision is open very, very early, even as teenagers, will see energy coming out of nowhere while they're in school, walking down the street, sitting in their bedroom. Energy, a string of energy, similar to the spark of energy connecting these two bubbles of energy in the white skeleton. And then if you just relax, just stay with it, you'll see that energy spiral, then you'll see it become a molecule, if you stay in the silence, you'll see it moves in an orbit, in a spiraling orbit, then you see other strings of energy create more molecules who join the same orbit, Then all of a sudden you see another molecule forming in the middle, very, the center of this orbit. And that becomes another molecule. And then you can see these, this constellation, this solar system of molecules beginning to float in an orbit. And then it gets joined by other constellations of molecules and then, ...matter forms, and you can see this even as a teenager if your astral eyes are open. And it's the same type of flow that comes... ...through you eventually in the crown chakra. Now, let's talk about the Sahaj portal. I mean after you've had all the above experiences, you're you're pretty sure that this divine presence is really something special and it does everything. At least it seems that way. Everything that you know in life, you realize everything that you know in life, everything you experience in life could very well have been made this way could very well have happened in the same way that you had these experiences. And then the Sahaj portal happens. In the very second that the Sahaj portal opens up in your innermost region of light in the crown chakra, you become instantly memorized, mesmerized by this divine consciousness so mesmerized that the very self-identity of the soul disappears and you don't know anything except the divine consciousness it's you but it's God and there's no you And it feels like, in an instant, it feels like heaven must be a heartbeat away. Heaven might be just on the other side of this blinding light, on the other side of this incredible consciousness, on the other side of this field of bliss that's indescribable. And you can also feel a power that's infused in the consciousness. And it'll continue to mesmerize you. So much so that you can't take your attention off of it for day, hours, days, weeks, months, years sometimes, depending upon the soul. And then all of a sudden it pulls you into Sat Lo, the first level of heaven. And if you've been having fully immersive experiences, now, you're gonna experience an unbelievable proof. As the creative consciousness, your consciousness creates energy forms, energy waves that spiral and become molecules. And your consciousness creates sound waves and light waves and light. And the energy is just a different form of your consciousness. It's not quite as immense, not quite as brilliant, not quite as all-encompassing as your primary consciousness. It's a lower level of your same consciousness. And in that energy, your awareness is your original awareness, but the, the awareness of the energy might not be as strong. Eventually you create beings, souls, as your consciousness extends throughout the cosmos after creating, creating dimensions and solar systems and planets it then starts to create souls, and as it, when you create a soul, you're creating a copy of yourself, and you can see it as a copy of yourself. You're fully conscious of the soul as your own awareness, even though the soul, at that point, may not be aware of anything except the energy that it is, or the confusion that it is. But you can look through that confusion and see yourself as. A, the only consciousness that exists and as all other forms of consciousness wrapped within your consciousness. This is the unviable truth. This is the truth that the mystics have been talking about for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, that God is the only doer. once you've had this experience it never leaves you not for a second not for a second and then when you get to anami there's more proof You get to anami and your consciousness is the one in the many. The one as the many, the one is a loving, con- nourishing, sustaining consciousness that creates and keeps alive. The many at the same time, every aspect of itself within the many is doing the same thing for every other aspect within the many. You're the one and the many and the many and the one all at the same time. In a state of consciousness that is indescribable. It's Absolutely indescribable. It's so vast. You just, you can't, there's no words, there's no words. Right now, I feel like I'm a neon sign 20 miles away from anyone in the middle of the night in the, in the dusk. <laughs> it's just it's blinking once every five minutes saying, God does everything. <laughs> My descriptions are next to useless. But if you get there, they'll, you know, when we get there, we've heard these types of descriptions, and it's clear what the truth is. <laughs> And there's one, yet one more proof, there's one more proof. When we've, every step, every step along the way, at every new level of consciousness, we have to get to a point where there's no wow feeling, where there's no fear, where there's, we're not following anything, where we're not watching anything when we're simply continuing to rest in equipoise, in balance and in harmony. In other words, we have to learn to be able to abide calmly and lovingly at each new level of awareness. And once that has happened and we are not blinking, we're staying with the divine presence, then the next level of consciousness happens by itself. This is true in the very first bubble of consciousness that we experience on the mystic path. And it's also true within Anami. Saints, sometimes the first time they experience NAMI in a life, maybe another two or three lifetimes before they reach Anami again. And another two or three lifetimes before they learn to abide in it. Depends on their sanskaras. But once a soul has learned to abide, to rest lovingly and calmingly in balance and equipoise as that state of consciousness, then the step after the active consciousness, the step after this one in many consciousness and many in one consciousness is the nirvana consciousness. The single source, the single essence of everything. And when you learn to abide in that long enough, you can see and experience a dissolution of the cosmos that you are in. And when you can continue to rest, in that state long enough, you can see the creation of a new cosmos, of a new act of consciousness, from consciousness which then creates a new cosmos. That's a level of proof that, I, I, how can you describe it? you never forget it either. Not for a single second. So, when we get that far, we will have solved every riddle. We'll understand everything. And most importantly, we we will have learned the greatest lesson of all. The lesson that God is the doer. When we truly learn that lesson, you see, when we're back in the world, we can't help but namaste, bow in submission, bow as a slave to all the lovers of the Lord constantly because we don't see people we don't see animals we don't see grass or dirt or rocks or air or seekers we just see god then we've come full circle on this beautiful path namaste Why don't we just meditate for a couple of minutes and then if you have questions, we'll get into questions. And close your eyes. And just let everything be as it is. Eventually, eventually, there will only be the divine awareness. But when we start, the silence is enough. The silence will melt us into awareness. The awareness will melt us into the bubble of consciousness. Every bubble of consciousness will melt us into more expansive, brighter, more comprehensive, more loving bubble of consciousness. And eventually, we will be and have the divine awareness. But let's start from where we are and simply let things be as they are.